versus the world's productions. Putting the internet culture in a petri dish and under the microscope. www.vtwproductions.com Listen to Casually Hardcore, Sundays at 4 p.m. Eastern. If it's geek, it's fair game. Come and get your geek on. www.vtwproductions.com All right. At this time, I would like you to welcome Mr. Ed Asner. talking to Ed backstage, and he would love to just hear your questions. So we have a mic over here. If you could ignore the one over there, it's invisible, and come over here and start lining up. We'll just get going with our questions and let him fill in the rest. And then we sit patiently. This is not working. No, no, it is. Come on, wake up, for God's sake. I heard you. Well, before, while they're waiting, I thought I'd ask... What a bunch of chicken shit you are. (laughs) You don't even know what to ask me, do you? Go on, get out of here. You got bigger things to do. Go home. Go ahead, Annie. I, I have a fun question here. You've managed to play Santa Claus at least five different times. Do you have a secret? Are you actually Santa? Well, you got to come up to my poll and find out. <laughs> All right, and at this point, you should know we're probably not G-rated anymore. Hello, Mr. Asner. Thank you for taking my question. Um, I spent a lot of Saturdays and summer days when I wasn't in school watching a lot of TV that predated me. But your stuff was one of the was a, a lot of the things that I liked watching about it. So my question is, how did it feel to work on those shows that are widely considered as the vanguard of television? It's the beginning of television history and modern sitcoms. So what was that like for you in the day, breaking new ground, basically? Well, breaking new ground is certainly better than breaking new wind. (laughs) Oh, it all depends on the circumstances, of course. Um, I, you, you didn't think, it, you know, you're in a rat race. You, you, you don't think about breaking new ground, breaking anything. You just say, oh, I, 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 I hope we make it, I hope we make it, I hope we make it. So I, interestingly enough, with the Mary Tyler Moore show, I was not at all worried about making it. <clears throat> I'd been in L.A. maybe nine years, 
up until that point doing this, that, this, that, this, that. I'd been on Slattery's People and asked out after the first 13 because I wasn't doing anything. So when we got the Mary Tyler Moore show, I had never done a character. I had never done a show with such wonderful writing. So it didn't matter to me whether they picked us up or not. I had the joy of doing that guy and that show. And uh, we were never number one. We never knew, maybe number four at times. We'd get to be number four. But I thought, it didn't matter. And somehow, you know, I don't think I'm very smart, but I figured it didn't matter whether they cancel us or not. And I'm delighted to see that over the years, the show achieved the attention that such a beautifully crafted show as that was. Uh, uh, and they achieved it. And uh, people's intelligence rose in my estimation because they agreed with me. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Hi, my name is Ron Foltz, and my question for you is, what has been your most memorable role, and it's kind of a two-parter, because the other part is, if it's not in The Man Who Saved Christmas, how awesome was it working with Jason Alexander? How, how awesome what? Was it working with Jason Alexander? I liked Jason. I thought he was fantastic on Seinfeld. But when I, well, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Uh, but I, um, I writhed doing that show because it was so corny. <laughs> Did not enjoy it at all, if you'll forgive me. So it was not uh, uh, my liking of, of Jason and my estimation of him. You know, I think he's a... Uh, one, two, three combination performer, acting, singing, dancing. Uh, but um, I thought that show was um, a sleeper. Uh, and my estimation of him has not uh, fallen. But we, we've got to do something better than that. He had uh, the other what, part of the question what of was the, what was the most memorable that you've done? <laughs> Rich Man, Poor Man, for a single shot for me, was, uh, was a great uh, uh, epiphanic experience. Um, I loved the fact that people saying, oh, why are you so mean? Why are you so this? Why are you so that? And then as the story developed and they saw that there was humanity in the guy, in spite of all the horror he had been through, uh, once again, people came to understand why I was who I was. I thought it was a wonderful story. So I, I would tend to think rich man, poor man. Sorry, but one quick follow-up to that. So that was really an off-character role for you. That's, is yeah. that the most fun for you to play or the, or the nasty, mean role? It was very, very much uh, an off 
upbeat character for me. And, and we turned it down. Uh, I mean, it was a very curving experience. I, the, the producer liked me very much and wanted me. I read the book and I said, I'm not that guy. I don't look like him. I, it's not me. It's not me. Then the offer came. And in those days, they were doing everything just as they do now, as cheaply as possible. Now they do it even more cheaply. And, uh, and they, they made the offer. And I, uh, my agent said, you can't do it because this will lower our price in town. So I, I felt horrible, but I said, okay, go ahead. I mean, you know best, they turned it down. They even tried to get the sponsor to contribute a car to buck up my payment. Um, didn't work out. Finally, time went on, and <clears throat> they, um, they finally found the added money to make it possible for me to accept. I, I was delighted, but unfortunately, I was finishing a movie called Gus at Disney at the same time. They thought that was the last thing I was going to do before I came back to Mary Tyler Moore. So they kept finding out when I was going to be finished with Gus. Okay, they found him. And they started the season a year, of, a week earlier. And I thought, oh. So then they, we told them we're going to do Rich Man, Poor Man. They blew the roof at MTM. And they were threatening all kinds of things. And they were scheduled to go a week earlier. So they, uh, I felt an innocent victim. I, I wasn't going to let it bother me. So they had a, I think I did a phone conversation in that show. I forget what show it was. But it was the first one of the season. And we, uh, we went ahead and did Rich Man, Poor Man. And the um, first day I showed up for work, I, um, I asked for a shoe that would give me a limp. They couldn't even do that. <laughs> I asked for something that would freeze, that would um, st uh, freeze my knee so I could limp. They didn't, uh, so I had to fake the limp. So I started working, and the director comes up to me and he says, uh, How's your German accent? I said, mm -hmm. <laughs> And he said, well, if you don't want to use it, you don't have to. And I looked at him, and, I, and that's where I began to doubt my director. I said, Jesus Christ, there is no character here without the German accent. <laughs> so I went ahead and used the German accent, and uh, of course, it was a very strong basis of the character. And uh, I loved the way the show turned out. I thought everybody was wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you. Who are you? Yeah. I can't see you. What's your name? Miguel. Miguel. Miguel, como esta? <laughs> Dígame algo. Um, how is it? Like to be a kid for you. How's it like what? How were you? How was being a child for you? How what? How were you as a child? How was I? Yeah. How was your childhood? 
Oh. <laughs> Miguel, you don't know how hard it's been. <laughs> I'm still in my childhood, Miguel. You know, I had, my two best friends were Mexican boys who lived right around the corner from me. And I must have been three, maybe four. And we were wearing long John underwear. And one day we, did, we crept into the coal bin and we decided to get naughty. So we took off our long John underwear. And I suppose we were playing with ourselves, I don't know. I shouldn't be telling you this, Miguel, but I feel I can, I feel I can trust you. So, after we got through playing with ourselves, we put our long john underwear back on, and I came home, and my mother and I guess my sister was helping her. I said, what is it? Why, why are your long johns so coated with black? and coal dust. I don't know. I said, oh, these aren't your long johns. I had put on the wrong pair of underwear. So, Miguel, other than that, I come from Kansas City, Kansas. And up until the second grade, I lived across from Armour's Packing House. And the only water nearby was the Kaw River. And there was a big horse tank nearby, a huge metal horse tank that uh, uh, horse drivers could give their horses drinks. And that was about the only water we had nearby to splash around in. Then on really hot days, the firemen would turn on the fire plugs and we kids would put on our whatever we used as bathing suits and get in front of the fire plug and get swept out into the street. <laughs> and that was a great deal of fun in those, at that time. Now one time, in those days you, you had like, like jockey shorts. And f finally one time my mother came home and she had bought me several pairs of boxer shorts. And I thought, they were the most beautiful things. <laughs> I had I'd never seen boxer shorts. And I loved them so much, I begged my mother, and she said, yes, okay. So I, could, I went outside on the street and played in my boxer shorts. <laughs> Nobody knew. Now what else can I tell you about my childhood? When it was very hot, there was no air conditioning. When it was very hot, we slept on the tar paper roof next to the apartment that we all lived in. And one time, when, uh, before I was born, I guess, my sister was sleeping out there on the tar paper roof, and a rat bit her in the foot. But that's what happens when you got a packing house, you got rats. And there was another time when I was little. There was another small packing house nearby. And a steer got away from that packing house 
and it was running through the neighborhood. You're not listening, Miguel. <laughs> you got control of yourself? All right. Anyway, the steer got away, and uh, they saw me running around. They picked me up and threw me into a shed until they could lasso the spear, the steer, and uh, spear the lasso, and uh, take him back to the uh, slaughterhouse. I don't blame that steer. I was betting on him. <laughs> what else can I tell you? Okay, that'll do it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Miguel. You better be as interesting as Miguel. You were one of the actors that inspired me to get into acting on stage. And I can remember the three words that really got me into the Mary Tyler Moore show. I hate spunk. <laughs> I do. <laughs> and you have to work on your spunk. You've got to be more spunky. You've got to elicit a very strong reaction from me. I hate spunk! Did you have a question, sir? I was wondering, out of all the years of your acting, has there been a job, uh, an acting gig that you turned down and might have later regretted or not? Not one. I don't know how it happened, but I, I, I've never had regrets. Because we painstakingly, agent, manager, wife, kids, you name it, friends, look at what's being offered. And then um, make our decision. And um, thank God, the joint decision has always been the right one. When I made the gathering, I, there was another offer at the same time. And uh, that was a, a gathering as a, as, as a Christmas being celebrated by a rich family. And it was written by one of uh, Edgar Allan Poe's descendants. And uh, was offered another script at the same time about a poor family celebrating Christmas. And I read both of them, and I like the rich family better. <laughs> it has nothing to do with money. So I did that one, and that one became a classic called The Gathering. Thank you very much, and as far as I'm concerned, this should be a standing room only room right now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I, I missed that. Amanda, what did he say? He said that as far as he's concerned, this should be standing room only today. Oh, thank you. <laughs> May you have a long life as an actor. <laughs> okay. Um, go ahead, step up. <laughs> okay. um, I have a question about your voice acting career. 
Um, I'm a huge fan of U.S. Hudson on the Gargoyles TV show. Thank you. And um, you got to work with those crew again on Spectacular Spider-Man and Young Justice. So what was that like, working with these people again? Sorry. She likes the voice acting things that you do, and you followed the same group of people through Gargoyles and... Young Justice and Spectacular Spider-Man. Young Spider Justice and Spectacular. And she wants to know what it was like working with the same team through all these different shows. I didn't know I was. <laughs> what were the shows you named? You, you named Gargoyles. Gargoyles, yeah. That's Greg Weiss. Right. And, and Jamie, um, I forget who the, direct, the last name of the director. Uh, they were a great combo to work with. And, and what followed after that? Uh, Greg also did Spectacular Spider-Man and Young Justice. Which... Well, I, I did Spider-Man for a long time as Jay Jonah, I know that. But you were I... also Uncle Ben. And what was the other one? You were Uncle Ben on Spectacular Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a one-shot. Uh, uh, well, it, it's wonderful. I mean, you're, you're all... I mean, this, 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 uh, this Comic-Con is filled with people who have done all that stuff. And I, I met Sally, uh, what's her name, who was on, Gargo uh, on Gargoyles with me, and, uh, and the British gal, Fiona is her name? I, I didn't watch Gargoyles, I failed. Well, you didn't do your homework. <laughs> uh, we're going to recast my moderator. Okay, anybody? <laughs> you know all this, come up. No, no. Sorry. Uh, it's just being comfortable with people you've worked with before. That's all it, it amounts to. You enjoy it, you like it, and you know that they didn't throw up on you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Mr. Astner. Hi. Um... Being part of the younger crowd, I, I didn't watch the Mary Tyler Moore show, uh, excuse me, show. Um, I wasn't involved in that. Um, however, I did see Up, and I must say it's one of the most phenomenal movies I've seen in a long time. Um, but my question for you today, um, with all due respect, um, you, you, you are older. Um, <laughs> And um, with your wisdom, I would just like to ask, what is the greatest life lesson you've learned? <laughs> I'm still learning. Oh, really? I'm, I'm still subject to paranoia. I'm still subject to stupidity. I'm still subject to selfishness. Uh, occasional uh, spurts of passion. Um, patience, patience, I guess, is the hardest thing to learn uh, because that, there's that wonderful line of, of creating the line of withholding impatience. And I guess when that line has been breached to such a point that it's become an insult, 
I guess what I have to learn still is that I should not resort to impatience because that's childish and, and I'm childish. But what I should resort to is that's the way you want it, then that's not what I signed on for. And I should just walk away rather than indulge in fits of impatience. So I'm still working on that lesson. And um, I'm trying to uh, be less selfish, although it's hard, because in my waning years, I want to, uh, I want to grab every hot foot Sunday I can. <laughs> and um, I, um, I guess the other thing I want to do is, is to be able to not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. I do a good job of talking. I have to improve on my walking. Thank you. Thank you very much. How's that for a sermon on Sunday? Hi, Mr. Asner. What do you say? What was that? What? Go ahead. What? What'd she say? She said hi. Oh, is that, is that all she said? Yep. So far. No phone number? No nothing? <laughs> Later at your uh, booth. Meet me after the show. Gotcha. I just wanted to say that it's great having a star in common with my three-year-old boy. And I was wondering, you're recognized by so many generations, anyone would recognize you. How does it feel appealing to such a wide range of ages? Uh, I'm occasionally impressed by that, but um, uh, if you just break it down, and uh, meet each person face to face and look them in the eye and talk to them, then all of the, uh, uh, the adulation flies out the window and you're just talking to somebody and you let it go at that and you don't let it go to your head. That's great, um, we love you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. My kid is rolling around on the floor. Sometimes Good. I... Sometimes I think he's Russell. Maybe we won't have to vacuum. <laughs> uh, morning, Mr. Eisner. Hi. Uh, just wanted to thank you for being here today. Thank and, you. Um, also, like a lot of people here, I'm sure uh, I grew up hearing you on cartoons before I saw you on television and movies. Uh, so I'm I, even better looking, aren't I? Yes. <laughs> uh, so I had a two-part question. Uh, the show I remember you most from is Freakazoid. So I was wondering uh, what it was like working on a show where it had that kind of subversive humor where it was made for kids, but if they watch it now, they catch a lot of new jokes. <laughs> well, you know, as I did it, um, I, ju I just sat there and I, and, you know, I thought I was part of a three-ring circus. <laughs> but all I was doing was just playing a monotonic cop who came in with non sequiturs, you want to get a Sunday? Uh, 
stuff like that, and watched the animals in the animal house converting around me in terms of dialogue, in terms of situation, in terms of performance. So uh, I thought it was, I thought it was cute. I liked it. And uh, had no idea that my monotonic cop would even be remembered with all of the zanies and the looniness that was going on in the show. But it was a fun show to do. And I, I forget, who was the guy who played Freakazoid? I, I remember you more than him. <laughs> See, I'm not the only one. He was the star, and I think he even created the show. Yeah. So you ought to look that up and pay him homage, because he had a damn good show. I will. Um, Thank you. My, my second question, actually. Uh, I was just wondering if you could uh, tell me to cut it out. Cut it out. Thank you. Hello. Easy. First You're getting all, cuter and cuter all the time. It's all for you. First of all, I'd like to thank you for your whole history of acting. We've enjoyed it thoroughly, both my parents, myself, my husband, my kids. We went She's on married! <laughs> Sorry. We went on IMDB on the way here. I got a little car sick, but I was trying to look up everything you've ever done that was listed, and uh, I started thinking maybe there were more th uh, things you were in than you weren't in as far as series, television, and, and uh, movies. Anyway, my question is, um, having read several biographies of the women you worked with on Mary Tyler Moore's show, I wondered if you had any stories to share about Cloris Leachman or Betty White or any of the other women you worked with on that show. Well, the women you mention are strumpets. <laughs> So you should have some good stories, right? <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, their looseness is legion. Wow. Uh, you but, might be getting some phone calls later as what time? this is going out on the internet. What? I was. It was me. I was saying you might. Those women might be calling you later for slander. This is going out on the internet. Oh. Okay. okay, he's fine. Never mind. But they are strumpets. I mean, the, the, the world knows that. They, they practically take out advertisements. But um, with Cloris, that, that's a special case. That's a special case. I think she was a Miss Chicago. Either a Miss Chicago or a Miss Illinois. But I, I really uh, dug Cloris a lot. And, um, well, we, we used to get chummy, you know. Um, ne never, you know, never all the way. I don't mean that. <laughs> but um, but um, Cloris uh, doesn't like fat. And um, I, I, of course, all, have always carried excess poundage. So... Um, we were getting hotter and hotter with each other. And finally, Cloris said to me, okay, you lose 30 pounds, 
and uh, we'll get it on. I said, okay. So I worked at it, and I have to tell you, we were both very relieved when I only lost 29. <laughs> so that's the story of my life. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Mark, Mr. Asner. It's a real honor to get to talk with you, and I've admired your entire career, but the Mary Tyler Moore Show is my all-time favorite show. I especially love all the scenes in Lou's office. I just have one question. How similar were Ted Knight and Ted Baxter in real life, or were they similar at all? <laughs> the best story I could give you an answer to that is a year or two into the show, Ted came to Alan Burns, one of our two producers, and he said, I want to quit. And Alan said, why? He said, oh, I just, uh, I just can't take it away. People confusing me with Ted Baxter and that idiot, that uh, the egotist, that vain, uh, you know, this, that. I've, I've, I just got to, I, I, I can't take it anymore. And Alan spent a half hour, at least, convincing him, Ted, people comprehend the difference between you and Ted Baxter. They know it's an actor, that you're an actor, that you're a consummate actor, that you're a funny, wonderful, consummate actor playing this character, and they can distinguish. They know this. They know this. They know this. And after a half hour, Ted was finally convinced not to quit the show. At that point, Jim Brooks, the other producer, walks in and says, Hey, Ted, <laughs> I just like to be thought of as the biggest schmuck in the world. <laughs> so there were those elements to Ted. He's the funniest man I ever knew, but I think he was... He was a genius. I think he was a comic genius. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mr. Asner, I was wondering what it was like working on Hot in Cleveland with Betty White again and all in the other three women on that show. Well, uh, it was it was it was wonderful uh, because I was. John Lovitz, I thought, was out of sight. He, he was wonderful. He was wonderful in that show. And I, I thought, he, you know, he's the funny piece of the show. He's, he's a goddamn riot. So I said, I'm just going to be coasting through here. So I was very surprised that it came off as well as it did and that it was as polished as it was. Because when we did Mary Tyler Moore, we rehearsed for five days and put it on the fifth night, and we thought we were the cat's meow. They slam-banged this goddamn thing into two and a half days. I mean, it's hurry up and, 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 and die. So, and it's a very complex show with the three girls and, and Betty and, and all the other added people. 
So uh, I was very impressed that they were able to slap all this together and it looked as good as it did. So it, uh, it's a credit to them, particularly the producers, who I don't think said hello to me, um, to get it all done, put it all together, and make it as uh, attractive as they did. Thank you. Thank and you. also, thank you for what you do for the autism community. Well, thank you very, very much for that. My son is with me. He's handling me on this engagement. And he's the executive director of Autism Speaks in Southern California. I don't like him. But I feel it looks good that we should be together. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Atzner. How are you? I'm fine. You, it, you don't feel I, sick anymore? No well, temperature? I'll, I'll manage. How's your uh, blood pressure? I don't know. You know <laughs> well, well I, I have a two-part question. But when you were cast as Carl Fredrickson in Disney and Pixar's Up, did did they use your personality for the lead role? People like to think so, and I'm sure you're one of them. <laughs> and I don't know how you get off doing that. I guess so. I guess so. They thought I'd fill that, 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 that bill of gas. And, and speaking of up, if there was a sequel, would you be interested in reprising your role? No, I want to play Russell the next time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and speaking of autism, I have, I have that kind of, of Ill illness. Do you? Yes. I think you have wonderful presence for an autistic person, and I commend you, and I thank you for bringing it up. I, and I go to this recreation center called the Ark of Tempe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I know that there, there, there are, I run into a, a number of people here who uh, either have family members or who are associated with autism. I think you're doing very well, and I think you have a future on your hands. Thank you. I'm a, I'm a college student, and, and I'm majoring in game technology. I'm, I'm sorry. He's a college student majoring in game technology. Good for you. I wish you the best. And Thank I, you. Can, can you talk to him after the panel? Would sure. that be okay? Sure. I just want to ask him one more thing. Okay, one more. Could you tell me to beat it and get out of here? Here. What up? Could you tell me to beat it and get out of here, please? He, wa he wants you to like tell that. him to beat it and get out of here. Get out of here. Beat it. Thank, thank you. Beat it. That's, that's, that's what teaches me patience, and that's what teaches, gives me hope. 
to hear that young man. Hello. First, Hi. I wanted to say sorry about yesterday. I think I cried on you. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. What and have you done for me lately? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, <laughs> I had two questions. Two? Uh, one was, do you still hang out with Betty White and Cloris Leachman? Uh, I, I, uh, they're busy bees. They really are bees. And, and I guess you could call me a drone. Uh, in a benevolent sense, um, I don't. I don't see them much. Bet, Betty is, you know, is ninety. I was at her birthday party, and uh, uh, what a what a broad. Um, she she's busy all the time, and and you look at Betty, and you know, I don't want to talk to her or say anything that might hurt the superstructure. We've got to keep it going, and and she. She does the best she can, and she's the sweetest, most cooperative thing you've ever seen. Cloris would do anything for me as well. Uh, I still have to lose 30 pounds. <laughs> and the second question was, would you ever consider doing a podcast, or being a, a guest on a podcast? On what? <laughs> would you be a guest on a podcast, an internet radio show? I really love the show called Nerdist, and I think he'd be amazing. So, be a guest on what? An internet radio show, a podcast. Oh, I think so. I think I've done some. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Where is that restroom located? Right out these doors. Do I'll tell you what. Just go get a bottle. <laughs> we got glasses right there. But the picture's already full. You really want me to leave you alone on stage? I'm afraid for them. I am too. I can't reach that far. Perfect, you're safe. Just go get the bottle. I wish I could say you're the first celebrity who said that when I've walked up to the mic. <laughs> Uh, as someone who's actually old enough to have watched Mary Tyler Moore the first time around and loved it, thank you, um, I wanted to ask you about Lou Grant, not the character, the show. I thought it was really interesting that it was a spin-off, but it went from a comedy to a drama. And I'm wondering how much influence you had in saying, look, I'll do the character, but let's make it more of a drama than a comedy, and how you felt about that. And then I have a second follow-up, but I want to hear your answer to that. Didn't have anything to do with making the choice. That was done... When I was asked to do a show, I said, fine. Uh, as long as uh, Alan Burns and Jim Brooks will produce it, they said, fine. But uh, and they, after a month or so of thinking, they said they came back and said they wanted to do an hour show, take me from television in, back into print journalism, which is what I was always boasting about coming from. I said, fine. Uh, I thought they could do no wrong. Little did I know, they didn't know their asses from a hole in the ground. So for almost two years, it was like a shakedown cruise for the Lou Grant show, figuring out what to do on an hour show. 
Well, the show I thought was brilliant, and I wonder your feeling about CBS, how guilty they felt about canceling that, because I think they canceled it for other reasons. Yeah, well, my political sentiments at the time became uh, uh, voiced, and um, it went against government policy at the time, the Reagan policy of uh, um, maintaining re re repression in Central America. Uh, my particular focus was on El Salvador. And um, it, um, it antagonized a lot of people. Uh, they, um, I, I won't go into the particulars of what, but it, um, they, uh, they made me seem unpatriotic and uh, created enough pressure that uh, CBS uh, canceled the show. What do you want from a network that also canceled the Smothers Brothers? I'm sorry, what? What do you want from a network that also canceled the Smothers Brothers? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they, they tried to intimidate Murrow, so. And, and uh, Howard Hessman. They, they are the kingly network, but they, uh, they, they can also be gross at times. Well, I thought you were brilliant, and I've enjoyed everything you've done. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to say, Mr. Asner, that as a fellow University of Chicago graduate, I'm uh, amazed and in august company uh, with you, and I'm so happy that you're here in Phoenix um, this morning with us. Um, the question I have for you is sort of what led you to, from the University of Chicago into acting? What was your decision-making that uh, propelled you into the acting career? You can blame the University of Chicago. <laughs> uh, it, acting there was strictly extracurricular. So, uh, first of all, I lived in the Burton Judson Courts, the, the, the main dormitory residence at, uh, at the University of Chicago. And uh, I used to eat that. while I was there, they decided to start a closed circuit radio sh uh, station in the dormitory system. So I had done radio in high school and loved it. Told my roommate about it, who was involved in the university theater, which was all extracurricular. And he said, well, let me hear you read. And I read, and I knocked his socks off. So I said, by all means, go read. So they were doing Richard II. And I uh, read for that. I'd never done Shakespeare. Uh, and I ended up doing the Duke of York in that radio production. Well, I decided to go to summer school so I could get out of the University of Chicago as quickly as possible. <laughs> I didn't want to be in school. And uh, he wasn't going to summer school, but he came bustling home one day and said, uh, listen, they're going to do Murder in Cathedral for the summer production. Uh, you can do any of the roles in it. Go read for it. I, I went and read for it, and I ended up doing the lead. And uh, Fritz Weaver was also supposed to do it was a double casting type thing, but he was busy elsewhere. So he came back and did the lead in the fall version. I played Third Night, Third Tempter. Uh, but it was a great, it's a great play, great poetry. I loved it. And uh, I got hooked. And eventually, my. Well, not eventually. Very quickly, my studies went into the toilet. <laughs> and uh, what little the University of Chicago demands of you, 
I failed to meet with, and uh, I dropped out of school. Thank you. Thank you. Lou Grant was a big fan of John Wayne's. Um, and you got to work with John Wayne and the great Howard Hawks in El Dorado. Did you enjoy working with John Wayne, and would Lou Grant have liked him? <laughs> Too many connections. Uh, John Wayne uh, was a very entertaining individual. Uh, he um, he led the uh, or was one of the leaders of the group which blacklisted most. Uh, liberally suspected actors in Hollywood. Um, he and Ward Bond mm -hmm. and um, Roy Brewer were the head of the um, group that kept actors from working or not working. Uh, I met him and on the first day he uh, used some subtle ploys at trying to intimidate me. Uh, and fortunately, I uh, survived them and uh, slid past them and went on to impress Howard Hawks. And uh, grudgingly think that uh, John Wayne was uh, a hell of an entertainer, a hell of a performer. Uh, a hell of an interesting uh, individual, even though he was a son of a bitch and blacklisting other actors. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, sir. Um, in a 2006, you played the role of a network executive in a TV show called Studio 60. Uh, the first four episodes up until Christmas had really strong ratings, and then they took you guys off like for about maybe five weeks during the um, some sort of event. Maybe it was the Winter Olympics. I'm not sure. But anyways, um, do you think that if you had not had that hiatus, would that show have gone on for another Absolutely. several seasons? Absolutely. Yeah. I, also, I also thought that they got so involved with the love affairs of the two young guys. Uh, the break up, making up, breaking up, making up, breaking up. <laughs> that if Aaron could somehow have just skirted around dealing, dealing with the other people rather than the affairs demure, demure <laughs> of uh, the two guys, I think we, we would have uh, intrigued a lot more people and kept going. Okay, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Hello, Mr. Asner. Hi. I'm a, I'm a young aspiring filmmaker, and I was just wondering what qualities you personally, as an actor, look for in a movie director. Uh, that he's uh, totally interested in listening to me. <laughs> uh, if First of all, I would say that most of the directors who have impressed me in life have been actors as well. I love acting directors. Uh, they know where they're coming from, they know how to talk to actors, and they are em 
Mark Rydell, Leo Penn, uh, uh, Sidney Pollock, uh, you name them. Uh, they're, they're of the finest. Uh, Clint Eastwood, for God's sake. Uh, they're all over the place, but they're good. Uh, the the other standard I use for a director is if he has an idea and he casts me and I come in and I have a different idea, he at least is willing to watch my idea and if he can incorporate it into his major overall plan, he lets me. If not, then we're going to be in trouble and I will have to eat crow and do what he says, I guess. Uh, I've had trouble with some directors. I, I couldn't follow their system. I couldn't do their bidding. Uh, but amazingly enough, we, which man, poor man, was a very good example of that. Uh, we succeeded. Um, there are other cases, and um, uh, I, I can't remember. Uh, but if the, if the director can impress me that he's listening to me and and sees what I'm about and can convince me that his has more facets than mine, I'm quite willing to buy that. And I'm quite willing to be grateful that he's taken the time to show me. As long as they can show me, I buy it. You have been a huge inspiration. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Um we only have time for one more, okay? Sure. So one more, the littlest, go for it. I was wondering why you decided to start acting. I think I started acting so I wouldn't have to go to a psychiatrist's office. <laughs> uh, acting for me was adventure. It was change. It was something I could do well, because I fantasized, and I could bring to life my fantasies. Um, it was escape. It was escape from reality. And so I, I chose that. There was a famous uh, psychiatrist who said that uh, actors are people without centers and that the reason they act is to keep looking to fill up that center. And for a long time, I suppose, maybe I was, I had an empty center, but acting finally filled it for me. And I think you'll find I have more gut, <laughs> physical gut, than anybody. I have a very large center, which is very largely filled. So I think I've stopped escaping, I've stopped running. I now think of acting as my craft. And it is the only thing that really means life to me. 
So acting is life. Well, thank, thank you, you, Mr. Asner, for talking thank to you. us. One more time, thank you. Thank you.